Good morning. We come today to the death of Elisha. Before we continue, perhaps we would like to mention that sometime this week, iTunes will upload a further group of talks from our series on Deuteronomy. So watch out for Deuteronomy Part 3, A Guide Through the Wilderness for Fellowship. You'll find it, as usual, on iTunes, iTunes Store, under Foy Fellowship. Now, back to Elisha. We will read the relevant passage dealing with his death and his visit from the king of Israel, Joash. This uh, reading seems to have been lost somewhere along the way, but... We read it today. So let's turn to Second Kings, chapter thirteen, and verse fourteen to twenty-one. Second Kings thirteen, verse fourteen. You know, some of the preceding chapters are quite bloodthirsty, especially those dealing with the conclusion of Ahab's reign and how Jehu dealt with Jezebel and uh, her friends you may also remember in 1 Kings 19 verse 15 to 17 that anointing Jehu as king was mentioned by God to Elijah as a task for him to do before he was taken to heaven but let us read these verses uh, 2 Kings 13 and verse 14 Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands over the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. That was towards Syria. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot! And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite the ground. And he smote the ground thrice, three times, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. 
that Elisha died. And they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulchre of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. What an amazing little story. But it has some relevance to us today. And so now we will just continue with the old recording of the death of Elisha. Right, we've come to the end of the life of Elisha. His final days. And he had uh, taken ill. We also have come across these various kings of Israel and Judah that all seem to be called practically the same name, <clears throat> which makes it all very confusing. Still, we look at the death of Elisha. The old prophet had judged Israel at this time for <clears throat> about 60 to 66 years. He'd started off as a very young man, I remember following the plough, and Elijah had come and thrown his mantle over him, and uh, he had immediately set out and followed the old prophet Elijah. And now he was nearing the end of his ministry, and he fell ill, probably just through old age. It doesn't say what actual illness befell him, but it's probably well into his 90s, probably at this stage. And Joash, king of Israel, came to visit him. It was a great sign of respect from an ungodly king. He was aware, obviously, of the loss to Israel Elisha's death would be. He judged Israel and he had been around for 66 years. And any man who had been around that time and who had the respect that Elisha had was obviously going to be missed and he was genuine and he appears certainly to be genuine in his grieving. He liked to have Elisha around because he obviously realized that this was a man of God. I remember uh, a friend of ours who was in the war and he was a very keen Christian and he was navigator on a, a plane which went backwards and forwards and sorties dropping people behind enemy lines. And the, the rest of the crew were uh, a hard-drinking bunch, but they, they always wanted Bob to be with them. Because he was a Christian, they always liked them nearly as a, as, a, as a symbol that they would get back. And probably this guy had the, 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 the same idea about Elisha, that this man had a, a good influence on in the country. And if he was dying, he was genuinely sorry that Elisha was dying. And then you see, the interesting thing was, in verse 14, it would appear that Joash had a vision of chariots. When Elisha was lying there, he, he, he had this vision and he said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now that was interesting. If we go right back to Second Kings, uh, the same book, chapter 2, we'll see when Elijah was being taken up into heaven, the same kind of thing seemed to take place. In verse 
verse 11, And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He didn't go up by the chariots of fire. Always used to think he did. But it says, in both cases, at the very first verse of chapter 2, it says, uh, that the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind that took him up. When the whirlwind took him up, and there appeared this chariot of fire, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Those chariots were there when his ministry was starting at the commencement of his ministry. Now go on a few chapters 4 to verse chapter 6. Chapter 6. And we have the interesting story there. Yeah. <coughs> How the king of Syria was thought there was a, a spy in his camp. You know the story. And he thought there was a spy telling uh, the Israelites everything that was going to happen. When they went down to, to raid Israel, Israel knew about it before it took place. And he said there's a spy, and somebody said, no, it's not that there's a spy. They have a man of God in the place. And he knows, they say, he even knows what you're thinking in bed. <laughs> so the king said, well, we're going to have to get this fellow, Elisha. And they discovered that Elisha was in a place called Dothan. And the young man and Elisha, his servant, uh, were in the city. And uh, when the servant of the man of God rose up early in the morning and he went out, an army surrounded the city. And the servant said to his master, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We've had it. The city surrounded. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. It's a bit like what that lady said in her letter. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Elisha said much the same thing to the servant. Those that are with us are greater than that bunch out there. And Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. They were still there, round about Elisha. They were there at the beginning of his ministry. They were there with him during his ministry. And we know the rest of that story. We needn't go into it, but they, 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 they were, they, the army was struck blind, and they led them to the middle of the Israeli country and into Samaria, and then they let them go. But the point is that the chariots of fire were round about Elisha. And he only had to ask for God to reveal that fact, that truth, to his servant. So they were there at the commencement of his ministry. And they were there during his ministry. And now, at the end of his ministry, this man, Joash, says, Oh my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. They were there. There's an ego spiritual, isn't there? Swing low, sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. Maybe they were going to carry Elisha home. 
But there is that's the, there it is. They were there in any case. In Psalm 125 and verse 2, it says, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. As the mountains are round Jerusalem, he says, even like that, God's presence is round about his people. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. God's presence is with us day by day. Then we come to this uh, unusual story. He said to the king, take bow and arrows. Get, go and get a bow and arrow. And open that window there towards the east. And he went uh, and did that. And then he said, take an arrow and put in the bow. And Elisha put his hands over the king's hands. And he said, shoot towards the east. And he shot the bow out through the window. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. This was a picture, a, a very dramatic picture he was giving the king of what God was going to do uh, on behalf of Israel. The king was going to defeat the enemy, Syria. Not in his own strength, but governed and overruled by God. And that was the picture of the prophet's hands. The man of God's hands were, were guiding and directing the hands of the king. And God will, will direct us. If we, if we put our lives into his hands, he will direct our lives. He will show us the way to go. And he will direct us. You know, it says that we're in the hands of God. No man can pluck us out of my father's hands. We're in the double grasp of Jesus and his father. The king was going to defeat the enemy, not in his own strength, but as governed and overruled by God. And we, we are like that. We have seen that in that hymn earlier on. Christ is our strength and Christ our guide. It's only through his strength. He said, fire towards the east. And that was roughly in the direction where Syria was. He had to confront the enemy. We have to confront the enemy. We have to be prepared to stand up for what we believe and the truth. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. And verse 8. We know the story how Abraham came, or Abram, at the start, became, came out of Ur of the Chaldees and came on, and then he came on through with Sarah, his wife, and uh, lost his brother's son and all their substance, and they came into the land of Canaan in great faith. And in verse 8 he says, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai, Ai, uh, on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent, and one side of him on the west was Bethel, and Bethel means the house of God, and on the other side, to the east, was a heap of ruins, Ai, that's what it means. A heap of ruins on the east. You know, Ai is a picture of the world, isn't it? This world is doomed. It's dead. Everybody in it is born and dead in, in sin and trespasses. And we are there. 
And here was Abraham in the middle. He was pitched towards the west. And he was heading towards Bethel, the house of God. Unless and until we defeat the enemy towards the east and turn our back on it, we will never make any progress towards Bethel, the house of God. Another uh, picture of the east, if you go to Ezekiel, we've read this many times, but let's look at it again. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 19. And this was the vision that Ezekiel had. And God had shown him how the things had gone from bad to worse in Israel. And he showed him pictures of what was taking place in the temple and how people were, were provoking him. And he kept saying, and greater abominations than these shall you see. And then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And if you go on to verse 16. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. This was in the Lord's house he saw this picture. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, there were about twenty-five men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. The faces, and they worshipped the sun towards the east. They turned their back on God and they were worshipping towards the east and worshipping the sun. And so... He, 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 this was a whole picture of firing the arrow toward the east to turn your back on all that defeat the enemy and strike out for God their backs toward the temple of God and their faces toward the east and they worship the sun toward the east unless we turn our back on all that is of this world our progress toward Bethel will be Thwarted. Genesis 31 and verse 13. God says, I am the God of Bethel. I am the God of Bethel. And remember, let us always remember, he's a jealous God. He will not give his glory unto another. And then we come to this little story of what Elisha said. He said a strange thing. Strike the ground. Take one of the arrows and strike the ground. And I suppose Joash really didn't understand exactly what was happening. And whether he just did it to please the man and sort of did it half-heartedly or not. But he struck the ground three times. And this annoyed the old dying prophet. He said you should have struck it five or six times. Because this is the indication of how many times you're going to defeat Assyria. And you know that prophecy was fulfilled. Three times he struck. And we read, if you notice there, the very last verse. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. I'm sure he's very annoyed that he hadn't done it about a dozen times. But he did it three times. And then we have Elisha dying. He dies and they buried him. And then we have this strange story of the posthumous miracle 
to do with Elisha's bones. The Moabites were making incursions into the land of Israel and they were now and again causing problems to the people living along the borders. And they were afraid of them. And they were burying a man one day on the Israeli side. And they noticed a band of Moabites coming to attack. And they said, what are we going to do? And there was the, the, the tomb of Elisha, the grave of Elisha was there. And they threw the body into it. And as soon as the body touched the bones of the prophet, a resurrection took place. Must have got a terrible fright when they saw the fellow running after them. As well, I mean, it must have been a strange story. And there's a significance in that. You know, there is a significance in that little story. And let's go over to Matthew. Matthew 27 and verse 60. This is uh, the burial of Jesus. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock and rolled a great door against it. Go on to, to Luke 23 and verse 53. And this man went to Pilate. Joseph of Arimathea and uh, we know that Nicodemus was there as well and begged the body of Jesus and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulchre that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid go on to John John 19 and verse 41 and then took they the body this is Nicodemus here the body of Jesus and wound it in the linen clothes with the spices as the manner of Jews is to bury now in the place there was where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never man yet laid why did they emphasize the fact wherein man never yet was laid I'll tell you why because miracles occurred, strange miracles occurred to do with the bones of prophets. And it was important that scripture recorded accurately that all these, this tomb, all the writers have emphasized the fact that it was a new tomb wherein never man was laid. Because the Jews would have known of the story of Elisha. And if they had uh, put uh, Jesus into a tomb that had already been used, they would have latched onto that straight away and jumped at this explanation of the resurrection. So it's just an important little thing to do there with the life of Elisha. And so the great man of God died. He passed away. can we learn from this story of practical use to us this morning in our Christian life go back to the fact that he had to strike the arrow towards the east 
are living, are we living at Bethel? Have we got stuck somewhere between Bethel and Ai? Somewhere between not turning our back on the world and not completely gone all the way to the house of God at Bethel? Have we turned our backs on Ai? Because until we do that, let's go to Joshua, the story of the defeat of Ai. Joshua 7. We know the story so well, don't we? The Israelites had gone up to Jericho and they had defeated Jericho and they were told not to take anything out of Jericho and one man called Achan had taken some of the accursed thing and hidden it in his tent and then they had come to attack the next little town called Ai or Ai and Joshua sent from Jericho men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel from the east, just reinforcing that again and go up and take this and so they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men and they fled they fled it says in verse 4 before the men of Ai they fled before them why? because they had sin in Israel and we will be defeated again and again and again by the men of Ai if we don't confront them straight head on. Verses 12 and 13. Joshua fell down before the Lord and he prayed and said, What's wrong? What is wrong? We have been defeated. And God said, Get up off your feet. The sin in the camp. And until you get rid of that sin in the camp, you will be defeated by the men of Ai. And it's the same with us. Until we get rid of the sin in our lives, we will be defeated again and again by the men of Ai. They'll come out at us. We won't be able to get rid of them. And what was the secret? In verse 13 it says, Up, sanctify the people and sanctify yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. The apostle keeps telling the people, Examine yourselves, cleanse yourselves sanctify yourself, set yourself solely apart for the use of God and then in, verse, in chapter 8 verse 1 it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua fear not, neither be thou dismayed take all the people of war with thee and arise, go up to Ai see I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land, why? because they have got rid of the sin in the camp so the men from the east had no power over them. And you know, the men of Ai didn't realize it. They came out, it says, as before. And they thought that it was all going to be cut and dried. And they went up to the city and it says, the men of Ai came out as at the previous time. And they thought they were going to defeat the enemy, but they didn't realize that the people had sanctified themselves, that they had got rid of the sin in the camp, and they were depending solely and completely on the power of God, and not on themselves. I think if we look at Joshua when he had defeated Ai, I don't think you read that he, he asked God's advice about going up to Ai. I think 
he did it sort of on his own back because they'd had such a wonderful victory at Jericho. We cannot do things in our own strength. If we want victory in our lives, we must defeat the enemy towards the east. And I think that's a good message for us today. Thanks very much.